MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, October 4th, 2021. Today, the Select Committee on the Insurrection will make criminal referrals to the Department of Justice for those who refuse to testify. New radio chatter from January 6th shows Park Police were ordered by leadership to stand down. The Twitter CFO says Donald's ban is permanent even if he runs for office, despite Donald suing to get his Twitter account back. And the White House pushes airlines to require vaccines for their staff. And also a little bit of schadenfreude with Alex Jones. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Hello. How was your weekend? Hi, I'm good. Happy Monday to everyone listening. I cannot believe it's already the 4th of October. (laughs) (laughs) It's like just a minute ago. It was March of 2020. Oh, for a year. (laughs) Yeah. It's like that year dragged and this year is just flying by. I mean, my Um, God. Uh, I hope everyone out there is doing well. Had a good weekend. Mm, same. Uh, and we have a good show for you today. We've got a lot of headlines, really interesting breaking news that sort of slipped under the mainstream media radar as they just, you know, get up on, on television and talk about how the Dems are in disarray and Biden's agenda is in the graveyard or whatever the fuck. And it's like, dude, they're just negotiating. Calm down. Yep. We've been talking about this for a, a while, though I know it can seem frustrating, even though we've said up front that this is probably what was going to happen. It's like it's still... For, like I'm reminded of the 2020 election when I we warned everybody for months, like it's going to look like Trump won. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Right. But I was still freaked out and worried. <laughs> I, I just think we didn't, you know, we knew it would look like this from the beginning. We just didn't think it was going to be two quote unquote Democrats holding everything up. Yeah, no, I mean, we knew, you know, at least as far back as June that Manchin and Cinema would be bringing down the number on the reconciliation bill. Which 100%. Didn't realize it'd be less than half. So uh, I think they're up to 1.9 trillion to 2.3 trillion now, though, which is kind of kind of cool. It's back that that puts us over a total of three trillion for both bills, which is good. But, you know, again, like you, I wish it was six trillion, but that that wasn't just never going to be the case. You start high and hope you chip away to down to where you want to be. But later in the show, I'm going to be talking to Ellie Honig. Uh, We're going to be discussing he, he tweeted out. You know, Donald is trying to sue Twitter to get his account back. And and Ali just put out a very simple tweet saying he won't win. No, (laughs) but it's not really about whether or not he wins. He's doing this for other reasons. And we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss what it legally looks like to make a criminal contempt referral to the Department of Justice with Barr not being there anymore with regards to recalcitrant witnesses for the, the January 6th select committee. So we have a lot of news to get to and then we'll do good news at the end. Sound good? Sounds great to me. Let's do it. All right. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, Citizens for Responsibility of Ethics in Washington. I absolutely love crew, by the way. Newly obtained recordings, recordings, actual audio recordings show the U.S. Park Police overwhelmed on January 6th, hours before the rioters attacked the Capitol with insufficient resources and action taken to control the fray across the city. Seven hours of radio recordings from Park Police were obtained and reviewed by crew. And they reveal a law enforcement agency inundated with risks before the former guy even gave his speech at the Ellipse with thousands of unattended vehicles and bags, mobs of protesters at the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument and armed individuals. The recordings also make plain the difference in response 
between the hands-off approach taken with the pro-Trump protesters, who would later attack the Capitol, and the violent, you know, proactive action taken against peaceful protesters for racial justice in Lafayette Square just seven months earlier. But as the day went on, the tapes made it abundantly clear that the park police was unprepared for the threat of a riot lacking manpower, plans, and supplies, including radio batteries. They got so overwhelmed during the attack on the Capitol itself that after an officer was attacked with a pipe, park police could not make the arrest, wishing instead for another agency to step in, quote, not making any arrests up here. We can't afford to lose the personnel up here. And let me read from this part of the report that was issued by crew. It's 945 in the morning and officers relayed this frightening sequence. Quote, there's uh, about five to 800 people here. Is the react coming or what? Quote, yeah, we're sending a react team. Quote, we have individuals with shields and gas masks at the statue. Quote, okay, they're at the Lincoln statue with shields and masks. Quote, 10-4, and taking pictures right now with a flag that says fuck Antifa. Now, despite the escalating situation, the officers in the react team were then given instructions not to intervene. A new unit calls in, telling the units on the scene to, quote, monitor only. Please do not take any type of enforcement action. Let it happen. Good Lord. Quote, yeah, we're waiting on y'all, an officer responded, meaning for the react team for backup. Quote, even when react gets there, monitor only. Let it happen unless we have major, (laughs) major issues. Now, the same time a call came in from the Washington Monument. Quote, just for situational awareness, we're going to need react squads in the flag circle area. Just for safety, there's a guy, a white male, walking around the flag circle with a pitchfork. Now, the station coordinator repeated the same instructions. Quote, okay, ma'am, 10-4, per previous instructions, just monitor only at this time. A minute later, the react squad arrived at Lincoln Memorial and were told to, again, monitor only. Quote, copy, an officer responded. We don't have the full react squad coming up. We're not going to agitate them. So this is the first clear documentary evidence, voice recordings we have of leadership of the park police telling police to don't do anything. Let them let them go. Let it happen. Now, you know, if they find out who gave that order and I hope the January 6th select committee does or the Department of Justice hopefully would interview them in front of a grand jury to find out who told them to tell the police to stand down. Yeah. I, all of this stuff is starting to come out and more and more. I know it's taking a little bit of time, a little more time than most of us would like, but it is still happening. And I think it's going to start ramping up even more, to be honest with you, AG. Yeah, they're going to want to try to get out ahead of it, I think. And, and this shit's going to leak. And, and, and thanks to the good people at organizations like Crew mm-hmm. and online, you know, OSINT, OS intelligence, you know, operational intelligence folks. They call them online sleuths, Twitter sleuths, but there are far more than that. Yeah. Uh, for bringing this out. Absolutely. Uh, This is the Twitter story. The former guy, this is from last February. Okay. So this is just a reminder. This was decided last February that he would not be permitted back on Twitter, even if he runs again for office and wins. God forbid. The CFO said during an interview on CNBC 8, this was months ago, when asked whether the former guy's tweeting privileges would be restored if he wins the presidency again. That's what his answer was. The answer was no. But according to a court document filed Friday, Donald has asked a federal judge to restore his Twitter privileges. Now, Trump's lawyers, alleged Democrats in Congress and the Biden administration, have pressured the social media company to keep him 
banned, which isn't true, uh, following his comments about unfounded election fraud and in an effort to combat COVID-19 misinformation. Now, disinformation, for sure. However, those are valid reasons. I don't know if that's actually happening, but those are valid valid reasons. If you accuse me of trying to keep Trump off Twitter from from you know because I don't want him to sp- spread COVID nineteen disinformation yes. or unfounded election <laughs> fraud claims, then why yes, you yes, are correct. I did. <laughs> so his attorneys also point out that you know though he was permanently suspended from Twitter on January eighth, what a gorgeous day that was before the end of his presidency, and that was from encouraging violence after the Capitol insurrection. Remember, Twitter has allowed Taliban, so this is what they're saying, his lawyers are saying, but the Twitter's allowed the Taliban state in Afghanistan to maintain an account. Well, Trump sued Twitter and its CEO, Jack Dorsey, in July. Trump's team has argued his speech is being unfairly censored. So Donald's team months ago told the court it would seek an injunction against Twitter for the immediate reinstatement of his account. But lawyers had not made the filing until now that could prompt quicker action by the judge. And that's Robert Scola, Jr. And he's in the federal court in Miami. So this is obviously ongoing. We're going to see what happens. But we've said this before. Twitter can ban anyone they want to that are breaking their rules. The rules are stated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the legality of that is what I'm going to talk with Ellie about later in the show and why he's not going to win the suit. But he also talks about why he actually keeps filing these lawsuits. I'll also be talking to him about the select committee on the insurrection. The House Select Committee probing the January 6th Capitol riot will issue criminal referrals for uncooperative witnesses who reject subpoena requests and deadlines. That's according to Chair Benny Thompson. He announced this Friday. So this is a very recent announcement and it's new information. Because before it was like, we have, you know, Jamie Raskin, and you know, we reported this, Dana. Uh, we have a lot of tools in our arsenal in case, you know, in case these people defy subpoenas. But Benny Thompson has come out and said, we're going to make criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. Right. A number of high-profile individuals believed to have played a role in organizing or promoting the pro-Trump rally that preceded the mob storming of the Capitol have been subpoenaed to submit documents relevant to the investigation and appear for depositions in, in just a couple of weeks. Quote, the committee will probably come for those who don't agree to come voluntarily. We'll do criminal referrals and let that process work out. Thompson confirmed that to reporters at the Capitol. Since the panel started conducting its inquiry, it's issued subpoenas to former Trump administration personnel, including... Mark Meadows, Dan Scavino, Cash Patel, and Steve Bannon. The four must return the requested documents by October 7th and submit to depositions the following week. While records have been solicited from potential collaborators, Democratic panel member Adam Schiff suggested last week that the committee has been preparing for obstruction attempts. Quote, we have additional tools we didn't before, including a Justice Department that may be willing to pursue criminal contempt when people deliberately flout the compulsory process. Now, in addition to uh, the former Trump staffers, the committee also subpoenaed 11 people associated with organizing the demonstrations, including Mick Mulvaney's niece, who was a a staffer, I believe, to Republican Representative Miller. And, you know, they were protesting the certification of the election results for, you know, for Biden prior to the mayhem at the Capitol. Seven Democratic members, as well as two Republicans, Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, all appointed by Nancy Pelosi, comprised the panel which House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has repeatedly criticized as a partisan exercise, even though we let him write the rules for the entire committee and then he voted (laughs) against it. (laughs) Again, last month, McCarthy vowed to use the power of future GOP majorities in Congress to penalize companies that forfeit private user data, namely by phone and email records. And to me, that's part of the fucking crime. Uh, That's obstruction of justice. 
now they might be able to find it sort of speech and debate clause like he can do that because he's a member of Congress. But you can't do it for corrupt purposes, uh, you know, as, as we found from many of the pardons that had happened and what we've learned, you know, at least from the Mueller report. There's there's certain things guaranteed in the Constitution, for example, Dana, like the president's ability and right to fire the FBI director. Yeah. Ever, you can you can do that. You, however, cannot do it while obstructing justice right. in, the, in the pursuit of obstruction <laughs> of justice for corrupt purposes. And I think that that second half of the Bill Barr memo from March 2019 that we didn't get mm-hmm. says that about the pardons as well. We just we haven't been able to see it because the Justice Department won't hand it over. But we'll see what the Justice Department says. And I'll talk to Ellie later about what it looks like, like the process of filing criminal contempt and what happens afterwards. So stick around for that. Totally. I feel like we're going to learn so much in this interview today, including myself. So I, lo- I love when you do the deep dive. And, and I, I do. I learned so much from the both of you. This last story, and I, I'm very happy about it. The White House is pressing major U.S. airlines to mandate COVID-19 vaccines for employees by December 8th, the deadline for federal contractors to do so, and is showing no signs of pushing back the date. And that's four sources told Reuters on Friday. So White House COVID-19 response coordinator Jeffrey Zients uh, spoke to the chief executives of American Airlines, Delta Airlines, Southwest Airlines on Thursday to ensure that they were working expeditiously to develop and enforce vaccine requirements ahead of that deadline. The one they've already given, and that's what the sources told us. And of course, they were speaking on a condition of anonymity. Large U.S. airlines have a number of federal contracts. Now, Biden signed an executive order last month requiring federal contractors to mandate COVID-19 shots for their employees, with the White House last week setting the December 8th deadline for completing the vaccination. So American Airlines on Friday evening said that more than 100,000 U.S.-based employees will need to get vaccinated. However, comma, they did not specify a compliance date. It also added that employees will be able to seek religious or health exemptions to vaccination. If you can hear it in my voice, I'm very upset about that portion of this story. <laughs> now, this is a quote. While we're working through the details of the federal requirements, it is clear that team members who choose to remain unvaccinated will not be able to work at American Airlines. That's from the chief executive, Doug Parker, and President Robert Isom. And they said that in a memo. They went on to say, we realize this federal mandate may be difficult, but it's what is required for our company and we will comply. Now, some airline officials had asked the White House to push back the requirements signed by Biden last month until after the busy holiday travel season. No. Why would I want a COVID positive person but as asymptomatic on my flight for eight hours because I have to travel home? Yeah, let's wait until fewer people are flying on the airlines before we do safety shit. Seriously. So Zions urges the airlines, quote, to act sooner than later to ensure as smooth an implementation process as possible. And that's from one source. And he made clear that the White House does not intend to relax the deadline. Zions also urged them to look at the United Airlines vaccine requirement that was announced in August. So the three airlines separately confirmed the calls took place, but declined to discuss the specifics. Zions did not respond to a request for comment for calls. And that again was reported by Reuters. This is another quote. Zions, employers should act now to protect their workplace. And that was from a press briefing on Friday. He he went on to say, more and more companies are stepping up to make vaccine requirements the standard across all sectors. Hmm. So the Civil Reserve Air Fleet, which is they call the CRAF, if I say it again, is among the federal contracts for major U.S. carriers. The Reserve Fleet, was activated in August in support of the Pentagon 
as airlines helped ferry people who had been evacuated from Afghanistan. God, this is such a brilliant move, right? Like, right? hey, we've we've asked the private airline companies to help us ferry it. They are now government contractors, which means they are bound by this executive order. And I love that Biden's administration notified carriers on Thursday it will seek a modification of CRAF, C-R-A-F, contracts to require vaccinations of airline employees. And again, that's from the Soys from Reuters. Other government agencies are also expected to seek amendments to contracts with airlines. So, Mm. all right, (laughs) AG, you have a gift for us, do you not? I do. It's time for a little schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Ah, Alex Jones, the right-wing conspiracy theorist who thinks frogs are gay from the water and Democrats or something, and founder of InfoWars, is responsible for all damages in two lawsuits, all damages, stemming from his false claims that Sandy Hook and the Sandy Hook school shooting was a quote-unquote giant hoax. That's according to a judge ruling this week. And some more joy for you, District Judge Maya Gira Gamble of Travis County, Texas, issued default judgments Monday against Jones and Infowars after he did not comply with court orders to give information in a pair of 2018 lawsuits brought against him by the families of two children killed in the 2012 massacre. Yep, and the Washington Post reported in February... Dana, that the Justice Department and FBI are investigating whether high-profile right-wing figures, including Alex Jones, may have played a role in the insurrection. That is the Department of Justice investigating leaders of the insurrection, just in case you missed it. The probe is part of a broader look into the mindset of those who committed violence and their apparent paths to radicalization. And a jury is expected to decide the amount that Jones owes the families in these two lawsuits. He has to pay whatever the jury decides. He was ordered last year to pay almost 150000 in legal fees. These are just legal fees. After he failed to provide discovery documents for attorneys representing Sandy Hook families. These are just the legal fees. This is not damage done to these families, emotional damage. Well, they couldn't even get to the trial in any of these because, you know, during discovery, he refused to hand over documents. Yeah. And so that's that's all. They're like, fine, your your lawsuits are dismissed and you have to pay all the legal fees and a jury is going to decide what that is on top of the 150000 he had to pay. He's such a son of a bitch. I hope he goes down for this. I mean, the yeah. pain he's caused these families, not to mention he's just a grotesque human being, but this specific one was beyond, beyond. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to uh, what comes out of the investigation into his role in the insurrection, again, which the Department of Justice and FBI are investigating. Uh, we know yep. we know about him and we know about Stone. We haven't heard any confirmation that they're looking into like Jeffrey Clark, or John Eastman, or a Trump's phone call to Rosen, or Trump himself and his incitement, Mo Brooks, Don Jr., Rudy Giuliani. We haven't seen any evidence that that investigation is taking place, but I have to assume that it is. If they're looking at Jones and Stone, why would they stop there and divorce it from everything else? But we will talk about that with Ellie Honig. We're going to discuss the lawsuit also against Twitter and why he's not going to win it, but why he's filing these types of things. And then we're going to look at what it looks like to file a criminal contempt referral to the Department of Justice, which hasn't been done in a really long time, I think 50 years. So we'll see. But, you know, Barr's not in charge anymore. Thank goodness. Ellie wrote the book on Barr, so he'll have a, he'll have a good idea of the differences between now and then. So that, we're going to talk with him right after this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Beans. Today's episode is sponsored by Upstart. Imagine all the things you could do if you didn't have high-interest credit card loans and debts. With Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily and start living your life again. 
Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. With Upstart, over a million people have consolidated high-interest debt and paid off credit cards, and they've funded personal expenses, too, with a single fixed payment and a clear payoff date. Upstart determines your smarter rate for a loan not just based on your credit score, but also your income and employment status and your credit history. Check your rate without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans up to $50,000. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. Please use our URL to let them know we sent you. Your loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Just head to upstart.com slash dailybeans to get started today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're joined by the author of Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department, which we just finished covering a couple weeks ago on the MSW Book Club. I recommend picking up the book and listening to that series. He's also a former federal prosecutor and state prosecutor and host of the Third Degree Podcast because he doesn't have enough going on already. Please welcome (laughs) Ellie Honig. Hey, Ellie, how's it going? Great to be with you. Also, the Up Against the Mob podcast, my other podcast. So yes, I I do have too much going on, but let's not leave that one out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an awesome podcast too. My friend Lincoln's Bible and I were talking about that, awesome. uh, about that podcast. It's oh, good. really good. Thank you. Today, I wanted to talk to you about a tweet you put out because we got a, <laughs> we got this story and let me just read you here. Former President Trump has asked a federal judge to restore his Twitter account, according to a court document filed. And the quote here from the court document is, The defendant exercises a degree of power and control over political discourse in this country that is immeasurable, historically unprecedented and profoundly dangerous to open democratic debate. That's uh, Trump's attorney on Twitter. Can they do this? Because I know me and a bunch of my friends are like, there's no way he's going to win this case. But I was wondering if you could tell us legally why not. So a couple of reasons. This one has no shot. However, I think we all understand what's going on here. This has become performance art, basically, by Donald Trump and, and, and his acolytes. They love that they're, they're good at identifying stalking horses, things that they want to blame and attack and rail against. And Twitter and other social media is one of them, notwithstanding the fact that Donald Trump has sort of weaponized Twitter better than anyone else. But let, let's get into the legal part of it here. So we'll start with the very first words of the very first amendment which is Congress shall make no law. And what that tells us, Congress, that means the First Amendment, freedom of speech, all of that applies to governmental action. Twitter, of course, is not a governmental actor. It is a private entity. What Trump and his lawyers are saying in their in their papers here and elsewhere is, yeah, but Twitter's gotten so powerful that they're more powerful than, than certain government entities, which may or may not be true, but it's also not what the First Amendment says. So First and foremost, the First Amendment does not apply to a private company like Twitter. That's that's a good starting point. There are plenty of other infirmities, but I think we can knock it out right there on, on the merits. Yeah. And I think this, you know, you, you I think you bring up the point perfectly that this is performance art. This is to get his base riled up at Twitter. Yeah. You know, uh, or his perceived enemies, yeah. because this to me, it's it smacks of the same thing when he just recently sued Mary Trump and the New York Times for the New York Times blockbuster reporting on his finances in 2018. Again, will go nowhere, but riles up the base that he's suing the, the, the you know, the fake news New York Times. Right. And, you know, Donald Trump has a very interesting relationship with the law, which is, if I had to boil it down into a sentence, it, he just doesn't give a crap. He doesn't care much about winning or losing in court. I mean, he, of course, he'd prefer to win, but he doesn't really care if he loses. 
just as long as he gets the opportunity to complain, to throw a tantrum, to, to act like he's attacking and fighting and challenging. I mean, that's his whole brand. And gosh, at some point, somebody, maybe I'll do this. Somebody needs to just go back and count up his record. Like, what's his one loss record in court? And by the way, this goes back way before he was president. I mean, mm -hmm. his MO as a real estate person was to stiff everyone and then to just drain him out in the courts, you know, who, who was going to have the resources to, to battle him all the way through the courts. So, um, yeah, and look, this isn't even his first time trying this kind of stunt in relation to Twitter. Um, remember, he brought a, quote, class action against Twitter and Facebook and claimed that they were discriminating against him. But look, it, it lets him play the victim, and he loves nothing more than that. And then he can complain, even though, by the way, the data, there have been studies of this show that, if anything, Facebook in particular tends to favor conservative narratives. But he gets to play the victim. He gets to say he's fighting these titans. And I'm sure that there are plenty of people in the base who say, good, go for it. Rah, rah, do it. Yeah, it is specifically interesting, uh, you know, because like you said, that's not really what Facebook is about, right? And Twitter, but yeah. Facebook specifically is like tonight on 60 Minutes, there's going to be a whistleblower yeah. Yeah. With, a, with a whistleblower expected to say the company contributed to the Capitol riots. So it's, you know, it's, there's this counter narrative, but the base is going to believe what the base believes, right? That's what they're that's what they're there for. Yeah, I mean, and look, and look he, you know, like I said, he, he can't leave these guys alone. He's got to go back every, every, you know, several months and file some sort of new claim. I mean, for a while, he was talking about um, Section 230, which is the law that essentially yeah. allows the internet to exist, right? It says basically social media, and, and look, there's a fair debate about whether Section 230 is right or wrong, and there's been some conversation about changing it. But what that law says is essentially that you can't sue an internet company like, like Twitter for the content that they put out. If, if they're, if they're a, a company, a social media company like Twitter, Facebook, is essentially like, to, to use an old-fashioned example that you and I will get, like those cork boards that they used to have in college dorms, right? Where you can, <laughs> you, you can take, a, take a push pin and post something up. Well, you can't sue the cork board for the ads that go on it. And that's, you know, again, there's a fair argument about whether that's accurate, but that is the law. And Trump made plenty of noise about changing Section 230, but he never really came anywhere close to actually doing it. But again, he rails and he pounds his chest. And that, I think, is the goal. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have a couple more questions about some stuff that's going on yeah. the January 6th committee, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Of course. Thanks, Sally. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And, you know, I haven't talked about my mattress for a while. Um, I, I know a lot of you feel more tired when you wake up in the morning. Uh, and that's not that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, sometimes it's nice to be groggy in the morning, but really it can last throughout the day and kind of mess everything up. And, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. And I thought it was because of politics and what was happening in the White House and around the globe. And I found out also that it happened to be my mattress. I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. And that's why I love Helix Sleep. I took their two-minute sleep quiz and realized my mattress was completely wrong. And so I replaced it with a Helix. And it's like sleeping on a cloud. So if you want to sleep easy, do what I did. Take the online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. They'll match your sleep preferences and body type to a mattress perfect for you. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses that regulate your body temperature. They have ones that are great for spinal alignment to prevent morning pains. And they have a Helix Plus for plus-size sleepers. Everything that you could possibly need. My quiz matched me with the Helix Midnight because I like a medium firm mattress and I sleep on my side. So it's perfect for me. Now I wake up feeling well-rested, refreshed, and energized for the day. Now, Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews, and they were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for sleep problems. And they have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. 
They even have financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off now all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking to the author of Hatchet Man, the host of the new podcast, Up Against the Mob, and of course, the third degree podcast, former federal prosecutor, Ellie Honig. Ellie, your accolades are getting too long for introductions. (laughs) You're just doing too many things. (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) So before the break, I had hinted that I I wanted to talk a little bit about the January 6th select committee. Yes. That is, you know, made up of, uh, it's a bipartisan committee Mm -hmm. as as much as it could be though we tried to get it done the right way uh, i think it's still being done the right way and they're actually um today i think benny thompson came out and said that they will issue criminal referrals for recalcitrant witnesses and i hate to i i am very optimistic but i deign to get excited about this but there are differences between you know making criminal referrals, you know, for for contempt to the Department of Justice now and trying to make them during the the bar tenure at the Department of Justice. And you wrote the book on <laughs> bar, Hatchet Man. What how is this going to be different? Will it be different? Well, no doubt there's a big difference now that Bill Barr is not going to be making this determination. That said, you are right to temper your enthusiasm if you're hoping to see criminal indictments. Here's why. But let me run through how this has to work. Okay. Congress first, let, let's assume that the Steve Bannons and Mark Meadows defy their subpoenas. I think that's a safe bet. Then Congress will make a big deal, like Benny Thompson said, if we refer this over to DOJ. The, by the way, there's nothing magical about a referral. I mean, Congress referring it is no different than an anonymous person handwriting a letter and sliding it into an envelope and mailing it to any prosecutor. It's just a request that DOJ take a look. Now, of course, it carries more political heft when it comes from Congress. At that point, the decision is going to be Merrick Garland's. Now, is there a better chance that a charge gets issued if it's Merrick Garland than if it's Bill Barr? You bet. However, the track record here is not good. It has been over 50 years since DOJ has indicted somebody on this basis for contempt of Congress. In fact, the last few people to be held in contempt, if you look back historically, were in 2019, Bill Barr himself and uh, Wilbur Ross over the census question, before that Lois Lerner on the IRS scandal in 2014, before that Eric Holder in 2012. So it's probably not surprising DOJ has chosen not to prosecute its own AGs in Barr and Holder. But that said, it's been over 50 years. And and let's play this out, right? First of all, Merrick Garland has given me zero indication that he's going to have the political courage to issue these indictments. He just, he has no, he has shown zero interest in any type of battle that may be deemed political, and this certainly would. Even if Merrick Garland does say, okay, yes, we're indicting here, there's a couple reasons that this is going to be difficult. First of all, all the arguments, executive privilege, absolute immunity, selective you know, subpoenas, whatever, overbroad subpoenas, the defendants are going to make all those arguments in court, and they're going to take a long time to adjudicate. The other thing is they all have the Fifth Amendment right. They can all take the Fifth And then Congress's only option is to grant immunity, which is a difficult process and essentially means you can never prosecute these people. And by the way, they're all going to go to trial if they do get charged, and they're all going to make it into show trials. And the penalties are so minimal here. It's it's actually a bizarre statute because it's a misdemeanor, meaning the maximum penalties a year, but there's actually a one-month mandatory minimum if you get convicted, which I've never seen in any other misdemeanor context. But you're going to hear a lot of people saying Merrick Garland needs to charge, Merrick Garland needs to charge. I think on balance, it's unlikely he does so. And if he does, it's going to take a long, long time. 
And even if he does, they can always bail out by just saying, I take the fifth. That's why I'm not testifying. I take the fifth. Yeah. So why take the political heat by charging them? I think that's Garland's view. But look, to be clear, I'm not making an excuse for Garland here. I mean, I don't see how you just decline to prosecute it, because if you're not going to prosecute it, you're leaving Congress sort of helpless. I mean, we're going to be back into Don McGahn land where Congress Mm. spends two years being dragged through the courts. Now, granted, Congress can do a much better job. You know, AG, I've talked here about how Jerry Nadler took four months to go into court on McGahn. There's Uh no, there's, Uh I mean, look, they should go in, this committee should go into court, civil court on October 16th. If these guys know show on October 14th and 15th, they should be ready for that. And courts need to do better here too, AG. I mean, you know, everyone goes, oh, the courts have long dockets. Sure. But you know what? Federal courts, if you get a dispute that comes before you and it's Congress versus the White House or Congress versus the executive branch, how about we move that up to the top? Like, you can do it. It's just a matter of saying, I'll look at this case now. You know, and so the, the courts have really ducked a lot of the criticism here, too, that took so long with McGahn and that essentially dissuaded the committee from going after Bolton, understandably, because it would have taken forever. So I think Congress has a job to do here, and I think the courts have a job to do here. So you think even though it's been more than 50 years and it probably wouldn't be worth it anyway, you do think Garland, just to set the right precedent, should indict these cases and let them go forward? Because, I mean, otherwise we're not going to get anything anyway, right? I mean, sometimes you just have to do it, right? I mean, that's kind of my. <laughs> if I was ever a room, uh, alone in a room with Merrick Garland or I had a chance to speak to him, I would just say, look, once in a while you just have to take a shot, man. I mean, enough of this. Like, he bails out on every tough decision. He undercharges the January 6th rioters. He's letting them go with misdemeanors. He's not charged anyone with sedition. He's refusing to abandon the ridiculous appeal on the E.G. and Carroll case. Like he, he's fighting to protect disclosure of the obstruction memos on Mueller and Barr. Like, I, I mean, I, I get it. He, what he's trying to do is avoid any turbulent waters. But at a certain point, you're just not doing your job. Like be a prosecutor. Come on. Mm. I hope I I secretly, you know, you and I've talked about this. I secretly hope he is doing that and we just haven't heard about it. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah. It will come out and watch whether he does or not. And beyond all that, Ellie, there's no reason for him to not charge obstruction of justice from the Mueller report. There's no reason for that. I I 100% agree with that. He's shown zero indication of that. People say, well, how do you know? I, I don't know. But unless he's got this super secret group of people with no leaks, no public indications, no subpoenas, no witnesses, and they're taking nine months, then I don't see him doing anything on that either. You know, people, look, I'll just say it candidly, people on the left like Merrick Garland. They like that he's not Bill Barr. They feel bad because he didn't get on the Supreme Court. But you know what, folks? Honeymoon's over. I mean, this guy's been in office plenty of time now. I think he got it in March. So we're going to the seventh month. And I've not seen much to be impressed with from him. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I really like that Mo Brooks decision. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I mean, look, it was just was, fun to read. No, he's definitely, he's definitely, and, and to be clear, he's definitely done a lot of things better and different than his predecessor, than Bill Barr. I mean, the, the, there is a legitimate separation, wall of separation between the White House and DOJ right now. And that's been enforced by on both sides, by Garland and by Biden. I think that is very important. That is a, a very good development. But I, I think we need to see a heck of a lot more out of Merrick Garland. Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of keeping track here. You know, there's some stuff. First of all, he did re- release the first half of that bar memo. Yeah. But the second half, I'm upset. Uh, he released the Donahue notes, the Jeffrey Clark letters. Yep. Yep. Told the Treasury that Trump's taxes had to go over to the House Ways and Means Committee. He let the the, the raid on Rudy go forward. He unblocked the Tom, yes. Yes. Tom Barrick indictment. Yep. Didn't renew the gag orders on the DOJ 
journalists and members of Congress in Don McGahn investigations, the Mo Brooks thing. What was the other big thing? Uh, he, re- he refused to invoke executive privileges on former DOJ officials. And then, of course, the big lawsuit against Texas for SB8, I thought was well done and timely. So, you know, there's been a lot of good yeah, stuff. All, but- all good. All very good points. That, that's a very that's a very good defense of Merrick Garland. Yes. But the January 6th, but the insurrection stuff, I'm, you're right. Who, who is in the only thing I, I, you know, and I'm grasping at straws, to be honest, when I say, hey, we didn't hear anything about the Barrick indictment, right? you know, until it, until it drops. So maybe he's got some super secret group working on this insurrection thing and, and it hopefully including the attempted coup with the John Eastman six point memo insurrection for dummies with the right. <laughs> Clark letter, the yeah. Clark letters, uh, which match up and, and, and hopefully the guilty pleas or the, the plea agreements with the insurrectionists for obstruction of Congress, tying that in. And I, I, hopefully it, cause that's one big giant, simple scheme to prosecute. So I, I really hope that that's happening. Yeah. And, and I also am encouraged by the fact that the con- that the select committee is working very closely with the Department of Justice not to step on any investigative toes. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that, that they are, you know, apparently deconflicting. But I'd also add, as you said, the, the Mueller obstruction. I mean, th- that one just seems to have just never even gotten a second look. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll, you know, he, he's got a lot of work ahead of him. Yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. And, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll be just as mad as the next person if, if these things aren't, if these things aren't prosecuted and people aren't held accountable because that's in, you know, the road back, the, yep. one of the final chapters of your book, the accountability part is essential to restoring faith in the department. Absolutely. I mean, what, what if there's no consequences to any of these folks for the attempt to steal the election, as you said, Jeffrey Clark and, and so on? I mean, what message does that send? Is anyone going to be deterred or think twice about trying this again in 2024 if, if, if essentially all you get is a little bit of finger wagging from Congress, if that, I don't think that's going to deter Donald Trump. I don't think that's going to deter the Rudys and the Sidney Powells and the John Eastmans and the Jeffrey Clarks of the world. No, and any future, any future seditionist, yeah. honestly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it today, everybody. Get Hatchet Man. Listen to the MSW Book Club. It's a really incredible book. And at the, in the last episode, you come on and answer our patrons' questions. Yes. Uh, which was fun. And then uh, definitely listen to Up Against the Mob. And the third degree and anything else I'm missing that you're, or are you starting a new, are you going to really writing a movie script? <laughs> just, just my, just my day jobs with CNN and teaching at Rutgers and at a law firm. Other than that. <laughs> other, than, other than being a lawyer, <laughs> and a legal contributor and your day job. Okay. And teaching. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. But uh, I do appreciate your time. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Talk to you. All right, everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG. As a sponsor of The Daily Beans, I want to highlight Allform today, a company making gorgeous furniture for your home. Allform builds beautifully crafted furniture that's delivered to you fast and free. Allform lets you customize your own luxury furniture, but at a fraction of the cost of other furniture companies. I absolutely love their website. It's so user-friendly. You can pick your color, size, shape, configuration, and your fabric, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant, by the way, which is great for pod pets. Uh, My selection was a three-seater leather sofa. Whiskey colored leather. I could never have a leather couch with cats, but now I have one. It's got a walnut leg finish and a chaise lounge, and it's comfortable and roomy. It looks great. And it just, it took three to seven business days for all form to arrive in the mail. And I put it together in a few minutes with no tools. Uh, they have beautiful armchairs and love seats, all the way up to eight seat sectionals. So you can always start small and add on if you move to a bigger house or your family gets bigger. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. There's no risk here because if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. 
They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash daily beans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. That's huge. 20% off all orders for Daily Beans listeners at allform.com slash daily beans. And today's show is also brought to you by Nebbia. You know, I love a good shower, showers and sleep. That's where I come up with all my ideas and get my rest and get recharged. And you know, I recently gutted my bathroom. I remodeled the entire thing and I got rid of everything except one thing. And that is my Nebbia by Moen showerhead. I get the best shower of my life every day now. It was designed by former Tesla, NASA and Apple engineers who spent years developing a a superior shower experience. And for me, it's not just about how good it feels, but how good it is for the planet. It is the most advanced shower yet. It's twice the coverage, but half the water usage. So, you know, despite using 45% less water than competitors, its spray is 81% more powerful than the competition. The Nebbia's atomized droplets rinse shampoo and conditioner out of the thickest and longest hair. It installs as easily as a light bulb. No tools needed. I love my Nebbia so much. Um, My shower experience is, is incredible. It's like being at a spa and a steam room combined. And the shower starts at just $1.99. But for Daily Beans listeners, we have a deal for you. The first 100 people to use code BEANS at Nebbia.com will get 10% off all Nebbia products. Nebbia rarely does deals like this, so it's great to jump on now. Go to Nebbia.com slash beans. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash beans to check out what they have to offer. Again, first 100 people to use code BEANS when checking out will save 10% on all Nebbia products. There is an exception, though. You can't get that on pre-order products as Nebbia is currently offering free shipping in the United States on those products. Again, that's nebbia.com slash beans and use code beans to save up to 10%. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And if you have any good news you want to send us or anything, anything at all you want to send us, you know, and I would say within reason, but even unreasonable things, I don't care at this point. Just send it in. We need the good news. You can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up, Dana from Joy, pronouns she and her. I love the show and appreciate the hard work you all put in to make it so awesome. I've been listening for years, but sadly have a correction. Oh, don't be sad. A few months back, you reported that India Walton had won the Democratic primary for mayor of Buffalo, New York, saying because of this, that she would be the next mayor. And many reported the same because the Dem always wins. But the current mayor Brown is running in a a write-in campaign that is funded by conservative donors and corporate developers. And being a close Cuomo ally has plenty of accusations around corruption. This is a correction because I'm genuinely worried that Brown might be able to buy a fifth term and prevent India Walton from being able to help the people of Buffalo. This story could really use more coverage because it's kind of wild. Drag queen getting fired for opposing Brown, potential federal judge corruption via his court case to get on the ballot after filing under a new Buffalo party months too late and more. You do such an amazing job of covering this kind of stuff. And we really do need more eyes on this. As a trans woman, it's really hard listening to the news when the news is about you and your rights and this show, you and Dana helped me cope. I attach pictures of Sylvie, our silver lining of 2020. She's been helping me maintain my training skills. Look it. Oh, my goodness. Silver tabby. Oh, look, she's doing the sitting on her back legs. So sweet. So cute. Thank you. Thank you, indeed. Thanks for kicking us off, Joy. Uh, The second one is also a little bit of a correction, more of an oversight. This is for Mike, pronouns he and him. Oh, see, so in our little in gnome and the herbster, which is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> um, we overlooked mentioning Herbster's association with the insurrection, apparently. He attended the meeting on 1-5 with Donnie Jr., Roger Stone, Proud Boys, etc. 
the night before the event. We Nebraskans are outraged he is running for governor. So keep up the good work. Mm. Then we are followed with a, a graphic, and it is known and identified participants in alphabetical order by last name. There he is. There Charles he is. the Herbster, Republican gubernatorial candidate from Nebraska, right between Guilfoyle and Lewandowski. Look at this name of just disgusting humans. Mm. And almost all of them are men, except Kimberly Guilfoyle. Yeah, and this I wanted to point out is from Proof, Seth Abramson, and he covered He's been covering this January 5th Willard Hotel meeting since the beginning, since it happened. He broke the story. He's been covering it. So I, I recommend following Seth Abramson on Twitter for the latest. And uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, we didn't point that out. Uh, next up for Manny, pronouns she and her. I've written it a couple times, but been listening since the kitchen days. My good news is I got a new job that pays more and appreciates workers. I'm a lot less stressed. I walk every morning with my dogs and listen to the podcast. I would listen at night when I was going to bed, but missed much since I often fell asleep. That's what we call. That's why we're called the shit show lullaby. (laughs) The dogs love it. And I love getting a whole new show, which is amazing for my new job and new beginnings. My best friend got me a new rescue kitten. Oh, his name is Adonis. And he's so sweet and sassy at the same time. And his purr is contagious. Look, at I love that name for a kitten, too. Look at the boy. The little void kitten with the green eyes. So pretty. It's going to grow up to look like my boobs. Captain, Captain boobs. Awesome. It's going to grow up to look like my boobs. I was like, can you finish that sentence faster? <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank and you so right much. Now, for that. My boobs are wearing Tomboy X underwear. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. Uh, this next one from Zara, pronouns she and her, longtime listener and first time submission. I want to start with the good news. As a person who belongs to the high risk category, I'm happy that I got my first appointment for Pfizer Booster, currently fully vaccinated with Cinefarm. And in inshallah, yeah, I guess. God willing, thank you. Inshallah, which is God willing. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. Ah, is in okay. Sometimes Ag and I overlap, and I'm like, do I need to stop? And she's like, no, you're fine. I'm like, what do you do? Just say ah, as in inshallah. Yeah, yeah no, ah, I just inshallah. went aha. It's different. Yeah. Yes, and this person says, God willing, uh, we'll get my second one after 21 days, so I can visit home, which is Canada, in the near future, and also. My employer is supportive enough to let me still work from home. Nice. Now, nice. After spending the last couple of months listening to the ridiculousness of the anti-maskers, anti-vaccination, and that Biden is somehow a dictator with his COVID rules, I thought I would remind your wonderful listeners how different the response is in other parts of the world. I live as an expat from a country that you have mentioned several times in your podcast. It's an elective monarchy, but each, quote, state, has the ability to set its own rules. So for my state, we went into working from home as of April 2020, and only over the spring slash summer 2021 did people start going back to in-person working and learning. Now, as for traveling, just like the rest of the world, our airlines stopped. And when they started again, we needed a PCR test, not only just for the flights, if we were not returning from the neighboring state. We had curfews monitored by our speed cams. which I found after I got a $1,000 USD fine. As for masks, our mask mandate has never been lifted and our fines can be anywhere from $300 to $2,500 American. As of August 20th, 2021, we are not allowed in public places like malls, restaurants, or school campus or in entertainment and sports venues unless we have been vaccinated and been PCR tested within 30 days or have a PCR test every three to seven days. 
Yes, we have to download an app and show our green passport to go about our daily lives. Currently, the average testing rate is about 200,000 tests per day. The time for PCR testing results went from 48 hours in April 2020 down to less than 12. So they have quite learned how to do this so people can go about their days, it looks like. We have vaccinated 82% of our population. At our highest, we were at over 4,000 cases a day. And as of today, we're averaging about 200 cases a day or 0.1% positivity rate. That's good. Yeah, that is wonderful. This is just to show who, as a WHO, recommendations do work and there can be light at the end of the tunnel and return to a new normal. Now, this hasn't been easy to live with, but I have lucked out with a supportive employer. Thank you so much for being a great source of truth and swears and your listeners being a great supportive community. Your podcast has been the light on my darkest of days. Mm. I don't have a real animal to submit, but I thought I would submit my mermaids. These are blankets I have created for my <laughs> nieces. These are amazing. Those are fantastic. I would wear one. <gasps> oh. The baby and the mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> that is the cutest oh God, baby. And the baby. I love that. beautiful. And the ombre from like the pink to the bright pink. Down oh, it's to the- gorgeous. Oh. That is so sweet. And I bet it feels like, you know, burritoed in there. Swaddled mm-hmm. is the right word. Yeah. Burritoed is good, though. I like burritoed. So cute. Thank you for that submission. Yeah, that's really like, can you imagine how much the fucking Trumpers would freak out if they had to do all that? Oh, my God. They wouldn't happen. They would. It would be a mess. Absolutely I, mess. I want all that. I wish we had all that. I know. Okay. I love that somehow I accidentally started a new game, which is people arguing with their cars. So you have the next story. (laughs) Yeah. That's from anonymous, no pronouns given. Want to hear about a disagreement with my car? Well, I had a car that disagreed with me. My dad read a science fiction book where people were rated according to how much technology went awry around them. People with a five to a seven were great beta testers who would likely find a problem, any problem that could be found. People rated eight and higher were not allowed on spaceships. I inherited an anti-technology field of nine-ish from my father. My skeptic boyfriend thought it was just a superstition until he met the guest star, my Mitsubishi Gallant, which gave me and the occasional others who dared to drive it a static shock every time I tried to open the door on the driver's side. Neither my boyfriend nor my mechanics were able to track down the reason, but numerous people bore witness. My boyfriend, who rated very low on the scale, still determined to prove me wrong, decided to conduct an experiment. We traded cars for a month. After a couple of initial static shocks, the car worked perfectly for him with the rest of the month. Oh, geez. When we traded back, I could actually open the driver's side door without getting shocked for a week. And then it started again. My skeptic boyfriend was forced to concede that I had a highly functional anti-technology field. <laughs> <laughs> The car is long gone, so is the boyfriend. Oh but my I hope goodness. This, but I hope this story has convinced you that disputes with cars or vice versa can actually occur. Love your beans, the joy, information, and totally appropriate swearing you bring to my life. For pet tax, I submit a photo of Samwise the Brave, who is anything but. In the over a year he has lived here, my regular babysitter had yet to see Sam, except as a blur running under my roommate's bed so quickly she couldn't even tell what color he was. Look at the oh baby. Oh my goodness, the baby. Looks like a pretty Maine Coon boy. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. God, that story was funny. (laughs) Got rid of the car and the boyfriend. Okay, let's move on. Uh, This one's from Cindy, pronouns uh, she and her. Greetings, O Queens of the Beans. Thank you for all good news and fabulous singing. It's truly delightful. I want to repeat that line. Thank you again for all the good news and fabulous (laughs) singing. It is truly delightful. So here's my best fucking news ever, ever, ever. And I'm still pinching myself. I chair a tiny voluntary community group set up to oppose seabed mining in 
this is how it's pronounced. I'm learning it every, like, actively right now. Aotearoa, New Zealand. In 2012, multiple multinational companies had exploration permits right up the west coast of the country to mine the seabed for the volcanic iron ore that makes up our beautiful black and sandy beaches. Now, the ore is really close to the shore, max of a couple miles, digging up hundreds of millions of tons of the seabed every year for decades, taking out the ore and dumping the vast majority back onto the seabed. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Nobody had heard of this brand new industry, so we went up and down the coast holding public meetings, talking with surfers, fisher folk, the local Maori tribe, generally people with a love of the ocean, talking about the risks, especially to our blue whales, the world's littlest penguins, dolphins, surf breaks, you name it. In 2013, the first company tried to get EPA consent, a precedent first case, but we fought them off. Joined by all of those communities, IWI, the fishing industry and environmental groups. Now, and we saw off the next one in 2015 as well. Then the first company came back, tried again, and the EPA got leaned on by the then pro-mining government, stacked the panel, and the fuckers got a green light in 2017. Hmm. So we took them to high court and we won. They took it to the Court of Appeal, and we won again. Finally, they appealed to the Supreme Court. The hearing was last November. We ran all of this on the smell of an oily rag with pro bono lawyers and crowdfunding and the people on our side. And yesterday, oh, this is good. Yesterday, we only bloody went and we won. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, the Supreme Court ruled in our favor, squashed the consent, and gave a ruling that means they'll never be able to mine the seabed here (sighs) ever Oh, this is fucking awesome. I'm so proud of this, these people. And it sets a global precedent as well. We are still in lockdown, so we had to do Zoom bubbles with the team. <laughs> but I'm still fizzing. I cried on national television. It's hard to believe, but you have to, right? Mm. You just have to keep pushing, and sometimes the good guys win. So happy. Woohoo! Mm. And here's Pearl. Pearl had to put up with uh, me dancing around, shouting and crying when I got the news. We walk on our black sand beach every day. I think you can guess her breed. (laughs) Can we though? Can we? Yeah, probably not. I think maybe an maybe (laughs) maybe an Aussie Shepherd. Yeah, some sort of some sort of a a herding dog from from New Zealand. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Sorry about those little glitches. Sometimes uh, I don't get a chance to pre-read the good news, or I try not to, and then when I get to certain parts, I get stumbled over them, and this is what happens. I learned so much just from this post. Aotearoa and the iwi and... Me too. uh, Maori. That's the... I think iwi is the local Maori tribe. And like, wow. Um, Cindy, thank you so much for this. Yeah. And that they brought back... Like, they stacked the panel with pro-mining people. It's infuriating. And and they got the green light. And then you won and appeal. And you won in Supreme Court. And you just found out you won. That's so fucking cool and yeah, and i hope i hope you're right i hope other nations you know take this uh, as the the precedent that it's that it sets and and runs with it to protect our oceans beaches marine life oh so good such good news thank you everybody for sending in your good news if you have anything you want to share you can do so by getting in touch with us at dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact um do you have anything you want to close with dana before we get out of here no i like your closing you do it all right i'll do it everybody until tomorrow please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been allison gill and i've been dana goldberg and them's the beans 
The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill, with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.